What's up meeples, on today's episode we dive into a discussion about the behemoth that is crowdfunding, we will be talking about the pros and cons of this style of funding games, we incorporate a few stories of our own good and bad experiences, and a brief look at other types of campaigns that we have backed in the past. Along with all your usual weekly news and Kickstarter campaigns, this is the podcast with Crawley Gaming Community. What's up guys, my name is Jason. And I'm Ian. And we are two game club organisers shooting the breeze about tabletop gaming. Along with Paul in the CGC newsroom, we would like to welcome you to our podcast. So put the kettle on, grab a brew, and let's dive into this week's episode with a quick look at what has graced our welcome mats and tortured our bank accounts this week. So Ian, what have, uh, have you ordered anything this week or has anything turned up? Well, there's one game that we've both ordered... Um, in different ways one of my favorite games that i've backed uh, last year was a board game called dinogenics and they've done an expansion for it and a second edition so i ordered an upgrade kit and the special edition you yourself have ordered the second edition plus the expansion i have indeed yeah i remember playing that uh, that game when you when you first brought it down to uh, the quarter gaming club and i absolutely loved it it made me go and play um dinosaur island as well which i've got to admit i i actually prefer uh, dinogenics i'm the same on that front. um it's just it feels like jurassic park you know the, the board game and it's a really good game i was you know i was gutted that that one never got a retail release so when they came up with the second kickstarter with the expansion had the original game as part of it i had to get it yeah so the basic pretense of this game you have an island in the middle and everyone has their own island with a park on it you have to get cards that have the dna for particular dinosaurs getting sets of cards allowed you to build a dinosaur in your park you also have to spend your actions earning money earning visitors building fences earning food for the carnivores goats my my, my biggest memory was the first time i played this jason decided I don't need dinosaurs. I'm just going to build a goat farm <laughs> and fenced in a load of goats and forced us all to have dinosaur rampages because we couldn't feed our, our carnivores because someone over there, no names mentioned, Jason, <laughs> um, had almost all of the goats that were available in the game. It was a genius plan. And it, 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 although it didn't win me the game... It did bring a good it, use of the quote, where's the goat gone? Exactly. And it brought me close to winning the game though because obviously the only dinosaurs I was putting in were were herbivores which i really realized my mistake afterwards considering i had an unlimited food source um but the problem was is that i was obviously going to sabotage my own um my own plan if i did that because every time i fed one of the goats to the carnivores if i'd had them they would have gone back into a pile which you lot could have then yeah started getting them again so my plan was starve all of your parks while i thrive on herbivores and uh, try and win and it got it did well but it just didn't do <laughs> as good as it could have done but no it's been it was really interesting seeing that turn up because i brought my copy around um when jason got his and it was quite fun to watch the second edition coming out and my upgrade kits as well to see what the differences were where yeah. the balancing differences was because they've changed two tiles and a few cards in the game yeah. yeah i mean there was a few things as we were unboxing uh unboxing my version and obviously uh the version that you used to have as well um there was a lot of things in there that really stood out and we were able to see instantly and then a couple of bits that we were picking up on not quite as obvious but nice little game mechanic changes but 
we are uh, we have discussed this and we are going to talk about that in a lot more depth probably worthy of its own episode once we have a little bit of a playthrough of the new expansion as well yeah so uh look out for that and uh yeah that's um that obviously turned up for you and it turned up for me as well mine was a day later of which i was most displeased and i thoroughly took most the advantage of of sending jason lots of pictures of my nice shiny new game but then tortured myself by promising that we both wanted to open together (laughs) so we knew we both got each other's reactions ready for when we would go back to do our own reviews on it yeah exactly so yeah that was Dynagenics, the second edition uh, and the, the controlled chaos expansion um the only other game i've had turn up this week for me was another kickstarter that i backed uh, a little while ago called micro city which is a second edition printing uh, it's only a one to two player game but it is a small box game and and we've discussed this many times myself and ian absolutely love these small box games so quick rundown about what micro city is the, the, the blurb on the back, <laughs> if you like. Micro City is a compact game in which you take the role of an engineer whose task it is to build a metropolis. Plan your actions and build your city wherever you like. At home, on the train, on a plane, several game modes, various challenges, and a random distribution of districts will make each game different. So how does that sound, Ian? It sounds really, really good fun. I had a quick flick through before we started... There's multiple game modes in that game for both single player and for two players. There's co-op, there's PvP, I believe. I definitely saw the co-op bit in there because that's when I um, caught my eye and I got distracted. (laughs) (laughs) But as Jason said, I love these sort of little games. You chuck one in your pocket, go down, meet someone down the pub. If you want something different and genuinely to engage other people, cracking out quick board game when we're allowed to do so obviously with all things considered at the moment yep and um watching people's faces light up as a confusion of like what on earth are you guys doing (laughs) often gets people talking to you and it can really engage more people in the hobby or just generally people are interested you know you might get a few jeers to start with but i've often found with that sort of thing there's the jeers because they don't understand what's going on and then interest them curiosity kills the cat sort of thing they can't get past that not wanting to uh, wanting to know sort of thing so they have to ask and engage yeah so (laughs) so yeah that's uh, Microsoft second edition and i have had the luxury again i don't want to keep harping on about the same products all the time but i have had the luxury of finally hunting down a copy of setter watch deluxe edition so this was the game that we've mentioned in previous um, episodes that um, our friend Ed kindly got me to try on Tabletop Simulator because he wanted to know whether it was good before he bought a copy. Unfortunately, like me with almost all um, board games, I fell in love with it and then have sort of since been looking for my own copy. And I was lucky enough to get the deluxe Kickstarter version off of someone off of the Facebook Marketplace for a reasonable price. And I'm really looking forward to cracking this out and having a go because I absolutely love this game. I've got to admit, I, I had a little look through uh, through the box there while you were looking at the uh, the Micro City and it, it looks very, very good quality. But again, I think judging by what's in that box and the fact that we haven't personally played it between us, that's another game that we could probably do a whole episode about once we've opened it, had a real look at it, feel what the components are like, have a little play, and then report to you guys if that's what you want to hear. So, those are the games that we have purchased and had delivered this week. But what about the games that we've played? (laughs) There's been a few that we've played. Uh, I think we should start off with one that isn't actually a tabletop game. We played this after the last episode that we recorded together. And it had me in stitches. I was smiling till I went to bed. 
Uh, it's on the Nintendo Switch. Ian, would you like to uh, explain? So, just as a quick summary, it's not just on the Nintendo Switch. It's on PC, PlayStation, Xbox, and the whole whole caboodle. But I own it on the Switch. Yes. And the game is called Moving Out, and it's done by Team Seventeen, the people who made the Worms games, and have also made Overcooked, both of their games, which are again very similar. It's a party style game. It's meant to be silly. It's meant to be fun. You have to work between you as a removal crew of silly looking characters trying to get X amount of items out of the house into your removal lorry. And of course, breaking everything as you go. Yep. You know, first thing I normally do in one of these is jump straight through the windows. Um, You have fragile goods. There are silly little achievements. Like one of them is a basketball. You've got to try and score a a slam dunk. I I do remember on that particular episode, because it's a timed thing, isn't it? To get bronze, silver and gold. And we spent the entire gold to silver silver section trying to get a slam dunk of the uh, of the basketball so we needless to say we didn't do very well on that one but it, the simple pretense of that game if it's not nailed down dump it in the lorry yep um, throw the sofa out the window on the top floor yep um, but as you go through the game each level gets sillier um, I actually got to play the um, PC demo of this the other day via Steam Link but it's just it, it's just a super chill super fun well I say super chill five, five pace so it can be very stressful but <laughs> such a good fun game just to mess around with and and have a laugh and it goes up yeah. to four players so yeah it, w- it was definitely a good laugh um i've got to admit i i, I really enjoyed that game yeah i'm and, looking forward uh, to I being able it. to try a four player version of that when times are easier to have lots of people over yeah exactly that's a brilliant party game um, yeah and a good family game as well i think yeah. Um, so yeah, I think that'd be a good one for the future. Both myself and you got together and uh, played with two separate people on two separate occasions. We managed to play the highly acclaimed cooperative game of the year for the Board Game Geek Awards, which was the Crew Quest for Planet Nine, which is a very quick sum up, I think, of that game. Uh, it is a trick-taking card game so i will read the blurb on the back of the box for you uh, as to exactly what it says astronauts wanted scientists say there is a mysterious ninth planet located at the edge of our solar system but despite all of their efforts so far they have been unable to provide substantial evidence of its existence join this exciting space adventure to find out if the theories are just science fiction or if you will discover planet nine in this card game you need to complete 50 different missions as you travel across the solar system but you will only succeed if you can work together as a team to master the challenges and achieve your overall mission communication will be essential but in space things can be more challenging than expected so basic pretense of this game it's called a trick um, taking game which is something me and jason hadn't really come across before nope, and ironically wasn't even in our list of gaming types so nope. a trick-taking game is where is often play, is, you often see with decks of playing cards um this just has like four decks of colored well sorry four colored sets of cards uh green yellow blue and purple and they go from one to nine and you have four rocket cards and to do a trick each person has to play a card person with the highest number of that color you know you have to match the colors um wins with the rockets winning trumping everything else yes now where this game comes in it's got a smaller deck of cards as well 
which is effectively your mission deck. And depending on what the mission in the book says, it might say one player has to win two tricks with certain numbers coming up. So for example, we go with green two and pink five, um, or purple five, sorry. And basically that player has to win the tricks of that round, but someone has to play that numbered card. So to give you... uh, give you an example if it's a three player game it has to be at least three players if i was player one and i had to win the trick and we're going to go with the purple five i might play the purple nine because i know i've won i should really have won the trick playing that yep player two might play the purple five to make sure we win that round you know that we have the correct number required jason would then have to play a purple four or less yes or we'd have to run him out of the purples before we've done this so that he has nothing left but another suit to play which wouldn't matter yes obviously that sounds fairly simple as more and more of these missions come in and particular different things to do it becomes a lot harder and also you're not allowed to talk which really does make just it ramps up that difficulty so much there is only one form of communication permitted throughout this game and that is a token you once per round before a round before a um card has been played a card has been played by the the first player you can show one of your your cards in your hand by placing it down onto the table and placing a token on top of it in one of three locations if you put it at the top of your card you are essentially saying to the other players this is the highest value of this color that i have if you place it at the bottom it is the lowest and if you put it in dead center it is to signify that it is the only card of that color there are no other communications permitted and you can only do that once per mission yes so indeed but yeah it it was interesting we've done the first five missions twice um yeah i think we have yeah and i think we we had a go at mission six and failed miserably mission four i think it was if i got this right was my favorite you had to have someone who would be ill and the only communication you could have at the start was asking how ill did you feel? And basically, the ill player was not allowed to win a single trick that round. Which makes it damn near impossible if that player has, for example, a 9 of a colour. Because that is the highest with, you can have of a single colour. With the colour, of the only, rockets. <laughs> but only the rockets can trump that. But, but you cannot play a rocket unless you have yeah. none of that colour left. So then it's a case of trying to communicate with other players and without talking and burning through all of your colours in order to make sure that you have... When we were playing this with Ed, one of our attempts at this mission, we genuinely worked out just by trying to argue who felt the most ill and who... Because with a three-player game, one person gets an extra card, so they're guaranteed to win one round. And So they can't be ill. We know the first player has the number four rocket, which can't be beaten. So they can't be ill. And then we worked out the last player was desperately saying they couldn't be ill because they had all the nines. And if I remember correctly, the very first time we played this, um the person that we opted to be ill without even noticing had the extra card had the extra card which meant we'd shot ourselves in the foot in the head and in the (laughs) arm at the same time but yeah it's a fantastic game took my a little while to get my head around it having never done trick games before the rule book wasn't too forgiving if you hadn't done one but it was very clear if you had i know that sounds a bit weird to say but i'm not great sometimes with learning rules as a lot of my friends will rib me for including me which is ironic really because i 
I'm worse than you with rules. <laughs> but it took me a while to get my head around it. But once we played a few rounds and the early rounds, like missions one and two are really easy. But I think you kind of need that with a game with 50 missions. It doesn't take yeah. long for the difficulty to they, ramp they up. They are essentially uh, intro missions. And, it even and they says definitely they are. work. So, Each um, mission's thematic as well. They give you a little intro story into what that mission is and what yes. you're doing, which is really nice. So yeah, that was uh, that was good fun. That was the crew quest for Planet Nine by Cosmos Games. Um, and then another game we've played this week was um, Ghost Fighting Treasure Hunters. That's right. We talked about it uh, a couple of weeks ago as a, as a purchase of yours on the second-hand market, and we finally got around to playing it. Seeing that on the table was great. As I said, it's, it's such a nice, chill family game. There's enough in it to make it fun to play and worth going back to, but it's simple enough you really don't have to think too hard. Yeah. Yeah. Um, my only criticism, again, because you know I'm being fair to all these games, it has two difficulty settings. The basic difficulty setting is far too easy. Yeah. Um, it yeah. just basically takes out um, six cards out of your ghost deck. So each turn, you roll a dice, a d6, numbers one to five on it, make you draw a ghost card as well. You first do your movement. Oh, sorry, you do it with your ghosts. So you draw a card off the ghost deck if you roll a, a, a number with the ghost on it. Do what that says. Most of the time, it'll be put a ghost in a location. If three ghosts acquire in that location, it's fully haunted, and it requires two of you to clear the haunting. Yep. If six locations on the board get fully haunted you lose otherwise you've got eight treasures on the board you've got to walk in the buildings get the um eight treasures out whilst trying to maintain the ghosts by fighting them and to fight a ghost you uh, you have to be in a room, haunt, a room with the ghosts in it you roll a, a black dice that either has hits or misses on it and if you happen to be with more than one person you get an extra dice and it is literally just a case of go in and go out some of the extra cards that I said it mentioned it gets you to take out are locked doors yeah. or make you resolve more than one ghost at a time. And then the shuffle cards, once you're done, you reshuffle the discard pile back into deck with those cards and the next time around you start with more. So yeah. um, it sounds simple. We actually lost one of the games because too many ghosts spawned too quickly that we couldn't micromanage. We won the other two, I think. I think we played three in yes, total. Yes, we did, yeah. yeah. But it was nice. It only ran for about 15, 20 minutes a game. Tops. Yeah, it was, it was a really nice quick game. And, and to be honest, when I was uh, when we were playing it, uh, one thing that came into my mind was this is a really good family game. Um, lots of kids will be able to play this. And we were playing with the, you know, the Advanced. air quote hard rules. <laughs> and it was easy enough. Uh, I know my seven-year-old would be able to play that really well. So yeah, definitely one for the families out there. And the components were really nice. The artwork was nice, simple, cartoony. Yeah. The I, I believe they're glowing the dark ghosts with it. We never actually tested that. Um, but you get uh, a load of the smaller ghosts that, as I said, they do look like they glow in the dark. I think it's six of the bigger flame ghosts. Yes, it was. Um, oh. Yeah, because it's it's only it's six that you need for the haunting. So. Yeah. Um, some the only, some treasure um, cardboard treasure tokens, which would have been nice if they were plastic or something. Yeah, yeah. But they agreed, sit in yeah. the back of the characters, and then four characters that yeah. just looked nice and cartoony and quite diverse. So yeah, definitely. So yeah, that's the um, that's the games that we played this week. Um, it's a nice bit of a variety in there it's really nice to get back to being able to play games again so what we're going to do now is we're going to move on to our main subject of the week which our topical discussion will be on one of our favorite 
subjects, which is what, Ian? So that's right, we're diving into the deepest, darkest depths of the behemoth that could well be behind the growth in modern board games that we've seen appearing on the shelves across the world. And that is the um, introduction of crowdfunding and especially our favourite, it's the Kickstarter platform. Yeah, without a doubt. It's, um, yeah, it's it's a money pit. That's the, I think that's the end of the episode, isn't it, really? (laughs) If you play board games, Kickstarter is a money pit. <laughs> we need an AA group for Kickstarter. We are going to start our own Kickstarters Anonymous, I think. Is uh, my my name is Jason, and I am a Kickstarter addict. I haven't backed a game now for probably three minutes. So, <laughs> <laughs> so I think it's pretty safe to say that if it wasn't for Kickstarter and crowdfunding, some of the games that are on the market nowadays just probably wouldn't have ever got a look in. You know, back in the day when, in order to get a game published, you had to go to a game publisher. And they had to like it, essentially. But, you know, you think of some of the games that are, that have perfect starter. Ex- perfect example is we've already mentioned Dinogenics today. Yes. You've already said that didn't have a retail version. It just went through the Kickstarter platform once. They got that game made. It done so well and there was such a demand, they got to go and do it again. Exactly. And they've made probably more than enough to live on and just to continue making games, you know, which I really hope they do. So for those of you out there that, don't know uh, what Kickstarter is or what crowdfunding is. I'll give you a little bit of history. I feel like a real nerd because I didn't actually have to research that much of this. I actually knew it. Insert Homer Simpson quote here. (laughs) (laughs) I am a full-blown nerd and I am proud of it. So a little backstory on the history of crowdfunding. As we know it, it came to be actually has its roots from the music industry, which is actually how I knew about it in the first place. I used to be in a band myself and I knew a little, you know, I've always loved music. I've always been into music history. So the first documented form of crowdfunding was actually done in 1997 by a British rock band named Marillion. And it was done to basically fund a tour of the United States, a reunion tour of the United States. And it it brought in nearly $60,000, uh, which back then was, was crazy amounts. And then three years later saw the turn of the millennium and saw Artishare become the first documented crowdfunding website uh, which would hit the world wide web and basically it was like firing a gun at the start of a race that we see going on 20 years later today so yeah it, you know there's been many different sites that do this kind of stuff from Indiegogo and GoFundMe you know in 2008 and 2010 respectively but the, the behemoth that we refer to in Kickstarter is hands down the most well-known and that didn't come along until 2009 so i mean one of the questions i asked myself to be honest is why is kickstarter the most well-known uh what have they done differently to the others that's the kind of thing that we can discuss i think i think it's just it's a case with anything it's what's what becomes the most preferred platform at the time and what becomes more recognisable. It's the same with social media sites, instant messaging. We've all gone through different phases where different ones have been popular. You oh, know, yeah. Who remembers the days of MySpace? Oh, God, I love MySpace. <laughs> and, and AOL Messenger. Oh, and- <laughs> I think I'm bringing back nightmares here at the moment. <laughs> but, you know, and even silly things like really going back in history of the war of um, VHS and Betamax. You know, it's what gets the most popularity and the most funding and the most exposure. Yeah. So, 
I don't think there's any example why one's better than the other. I can definitely remember earlier, you know, going further back, GoFundMe seemed to be the one that I used to probably know more, but that seemed to be more for four projects that were like, I've just had a house fire, or I need a replacement yeah, set of yeah. this, or... Um, They've sort of all ended up with their own niche of the market, really, haven't yeah. they? But Kickstarter seems to be the one... Kickstarter that, seems to be a product-based to yeah, me. It's yeah, not, I know it's not just that. I, I must stress, it's definitely nowhere near just that. But for me personally, mm. mine, everything I've ever done on crowdfunding has been for, well, mostly for gaming, but for specific items, you know, and the production of something rather than funding someone to go do something. Yeah. It's more funding something to be created for me instead. Yes, completely agree. So um, a rough explanation of what crowdfunding is how it works for anyone that's never done it before doesn't have a clue what we're going on about so i'm going to ask ian to explain how crowdfunding works so um yeah so basically the idea is um some an individual or a group of people will come up with an idea of something they want to create i'm going to use board games because it's what we do and it's perfect example you know i have one literally in my hand now that's come through the crowdfunding route you know in that you know someone did come up with this game idea they've designed a game they've tested it they've got they've got it all happy they've then worked out that they have no way of funding any way on their own of getting that into production so otherwise this game may never see the light of day and it is a good game you know using this one as an example and instead of the old traditional way like jason mentioned earlier trying to find a publisher that could then take on your game have control over what they do they went down the crowdfunding route and they basically set out their prices they went down routes of what how much it would cost to produce you know where they'd get test them components made and um, everything they need to do abroad and all that sort of stuff good example for that at the moment is we are watching constant development of the jurassic world game we keep mentioning yes um they put out videos they send out production copies you know but they found where they want these all these games have found their routes where they want to go worked out their costings they've then take used these platforms of crowdfunding and said to people look we we can't make this without your help who would like a copy of this game via this system this is how much that each version of the game is going to cost this is how much the shipping is we think is going to cost and if you do back it via this way a lot of these campaigns will offer you exclusives as extras and they'll have a um tiered it kickstarter exclusive section where as you each reach each stretch goal that's the words i was missing you'll unlock more and more bonuses for your game yep. Good example is, again, I know we harp on about it, but it's how we spent so much on the Jurassic World game. It's because we were sitting there watching the, the totals reach what more and more yeah. that we were getting for our games. So that enticed us to then put more money in to buy extras to then reach, help reach another goal. And some of them do social goals. So like getting their word of mouth out via things like Facebook, Twitter, all the other social media. Some of them, we've even been approached by some Kickstarters on the podcast channel even. You know, have, yeah. Unfortunately, some of them haven't been helped like a usa exclusive one thanks guys um <laughs> but yeah we love hearing about that sort of stuff for, for us as well but yeah and these games wouldn't see the light of day if it wasn't for this platform no, no. and there are even big names using this platform big board game company now that made their presence well known was cool mini or not and they are known as we joke quite a lot for being the board games with fifty thousand miniatures attached to them yeah yeah but they got their name through the Kickstarter platform and they still offer a lot of their games now through Kickstarter, even if they potentially don't need to, just because that's where people know where to find out what's the latest coming from them. Yeah, and um, it's nice because there have been companies, like you said, uh, like Call Mini or Not, that essentially started on the crowdfunding route and it's made them into massive gaming companies that everyone now knows 
and they've kicked out some phenomenal games in their past. I know um, one of the ones that we we talk about, they did our Wacky Races game that we had with some epic miniatures in that. Probably the only game they've ever released that didn't have 50,000 miniatures. Um, obviously, I think one of your favourite games as well in, um, in Zombicide is a cool mini or not. Yeah, I have enough plastic to make a house out of that game. <laughs> um, that would be the biggest Monopoly house ever, wouldn't it? Yeah. <laughs> but I've made... Um, I actually... I missed their very first Kickstarter on the original zombie side, but um, I've backed their Season 2, their Season 3, and with the help of one of my friends, I backed the original game 2.0, yep. which I'm still waiting on my list of things due to come at some point. Yep, and when that arrives, we will indeed be playing that and uh, probably review viewing that as well yep so it's pretty obvious between us where both myself and ian absolutely love kickstarter and and the positives that it does bring however again you you search about online and there's actually a lot of negativity about crowdfunding uh, in general when it comes to board games tabletop games you know role play all that kind of stuff so what are the negatives that we have seen and how do we feel about them so the first one i have been lucky so far and haven't been hit with but i know you have is it's the risk that you're putting into money into something that hasn't been made you are essentially going on you know someone coming up to you in the middle of the street and say can I borrow 20 quid and I'll, I'll pay you back and you sort of go yeah of course you can and it's very trusting to know that that person is going to come back and pay you that 20 pounds but it's pounds. not just them coming and paying you back the 20 pounds it's you giving them 20 pounds and then coming giving you a product worth like 30 40 yeah exactly I mean the, the very first Kickstarter I did for example is the Power Rangers Heroes of the Grid game and like I said being the first one I ever did it was it was very nerve wracking for me because I threw 150 pounds I think something in that region at that game and the delivery date was over a year later so you know it's not even just a case of oh you know send us this money and we'll send you a game it's oh send us this money and we'll uh we'll then go and finish designing the game then we'll send it the details somewhere else they will then produce that game they'll send it to us we'll sort of look at it and then we'll eventually send it to you so you know there's a hell of a long process there but it's like being a a, a pre-alpha tester on like a pc game for me and i i love being on the journey i love getting involved in a project showing my support for that project and then seeing it progress you know and it's even got me to a point where i would love to do something like that myself and you know more on that later yeah I was about to say we'll touch on that in a bit another negative that I have seen is you're not only taking the risk of whether the game does make it to the end as Mm. we said you've had one that hasn't yes but you're also taking a risk on that the game is actually good some kickstarters come far enough down the line that they may have like a tabletop simulator version to let you try or a prototype that they can send around to people obviously not every backer will get the prototype but you know so you can get reviewers to review your game before before your campaign has started Mm -hmm. which is something I'd like to see more of and we do see a lot yes so it's definitely picking up a bit more now but you are taking a risk that a game is good now i have definitely been burnt on this a few times yes um and i know you have as well and some of the games that we'll bring up we both own some games just feel rushed or unfinished which is an absolute shame good example for me the first one that comes to my head is the kung fu panda game yeah well documented on, on this podcast but yeah yeah the it, miniatures it, it, were amazing yeah the game itself looked amazing the campaign itself flopped it really didn't reach anywhere near the money they expected it to which is a shame and um, theoretically with an ip like that it should have they should have smashed it yeah but the but, fact that it barely but we it kindly barely funded really did but it? maybe a lot of people saw what we didn't because when it turned up 
as I said, the game just feels half finished. Mm. They gave you a load of extra um, villains that literally they went as cop out as saying just replace the miniatures with the miniatures from the original game. Yeah. No new, no new stats rules, or nothing. anything. Yeah. You know, um, and the new heroes didn't bring a lot. Nah. And the game takes longer to set up than it does to play, which is a huge... I'd have rather just paid out a little bit more and got a whole load of map boards all pre-set out than, yeah, completely agree. than having to flip all your tiles and spend 15 minutes trying to work out what your board should look like, only to then spend 10 minutes playing the game. Yeah. But, you know, and again, there are lots of things that are rushed. We've already mentioned Dinogenics is a good example. I adore that game, but the fact that I had to pay out to get a new board with this expansion because they to only, correct the issues they only the sent album. out a sticker sheet otherwise you know and yeah. it makes you wonder whether a little bit of more playtesting and a little bit more balancing when you're not worried about time constraints yeah um my walking dead game you know we yes. brought that up before yeah. i paid 150 or pounds for my project you ended up getting half of what i got for 30 quid you know it, it, it's frustrating again a good game with a poor rule book yeah this brings a lot of what we've spoken before it's a mixture of time constraints ips things like my walking dead game if you go to um, an intellectual property and say i want you on my board game they give you a time frame to get it done with one of my absolute positive favorites on um, this was the Sonic Battle Racers game but when they were doing the campaign luckily they hit all their stretch goals but the last stretch goal they hit they weren't even allowed to give us a picture of because they hadn't got it approved by Sega and Sega had allowed them to use the character but they hadn't approved a picture or a pose or a model at all to put on the campaign so we got given that miniature thankfully you know and I I can't hold my hands up praise enough that they did that for us but it was funny because they were giving us a blank thing with the name of the character it was Storm from the Sonic Riders game we had the other two riders but not that villain and it was funny because they weren't allowed to put that on the um campaign until yeah. they got it all approved exactly we saw that on the jurassic world game dennis nedry still doesn't have a picture on any of the campaigns because mm. they haven't and it's due in a few months yeah, yeah. <laughs> they would have got the approval now but yes. when they did the campaign they didn't have the licensing approval for that or the official picture of the ford explorer yep so um I mean, basically a, a little summary of the negatives that we, we see there. So it's not all doom and gloom. It's not all doom and gloom at all. As I said, we absolutely love Kickstarter and crowdfunding. In my top games, a lot of them have come through the Kickstarter platform. Yeah. Thunderbirds is another example. You know, you hear that a lot from us because it's one of our top games for both of us. That for came, multiple reasons. That came through Kickstarter. Um, Zombicide, you know, and Call Mini or Not in general came through the Kickstarter platform. And Bar Delays... Which which, as you said, I think I think you have to take it with a pinch of salt. If they tell you a delivery date, almost add a year onto it. Yeah. You'll know somewhere in that year's window it might appear. I do have one more negative that I think is worth bringing up, though. Something I've seen a lot of companies doing in the last year. We pay for these games to be made. So, in theory, the buyer expects the priority here. You know, us yeah. as backers, we expect priority on these games. We expect a copy before we can go and buy it off of the shelves. Yes. I can name several games in the last, well, I'm going to say last year and a half because I want to give the benefit of the doubt with the COVID situation. But um, I got a game called Welcome To last year. The company actually got product in before most of the world had got their product. I think the Canadian shipment arrived first and they went to a Comic Con and sold copies at yeah. the Comic Con yeah. before we were allowed ours. That got a lot of negativity. So let, let's talk let's let's shine some light on this. Let's let's talk about some positives. What are our favourite positives? Uh, when it comes to crowdfunding, I know for me, one of them is that amazing stretch goal uh, <laughs> thing that you'll get, you know, because it, you're sort of, when, when you are using it, you 
are basically paying for the standard retail version. But being on Kickstarter, I'm going to say most because not every company does it, but most campaigns will have the stretch goal, which essentially is your thank you for basically pre-ordering and paying for the game to be made, include you know to basically build out exactly what you're going to get. Yep. One of my favorites is that it's fun to see what can be added. You know, we mentioned Zombicide earlier. I have a miniature of the Queen with a minigun coming. It's my <laughs> new, you know, that a bog standard retail pledge won't have. I, I think the stretch goals is a nice system of getting people when they're tempted by a game, just that little bit extra to add to their game that might be something coax you into spending that little bit more towards the project to make sure it gets funded. So we've both used Kickstarter for a variety of board games. I think uh, that's an understatement. Yeah, yeah, just just ever so slightly. <laughs> Um, but I know I personally have used it for other projects as well that don't revolve around tabletop gaming. So to give you a rough idea of, a, of, of the dif- differences of things you, you can get on Kickstarter, what other things have you backed that were not board game related? Well, I've, got, I've only done a couple. Most of my, my stuff has been gaming, specifically board gaming. I'm going to start off with one story that is technically board game related, but wasn't a board game. And a company that I've backed several games off of um, is called Artipia Games and you'll find a lot of these gaming companies go to the big gaming conventions especially around just before or just after a kickstarter's finished you know along the projects and they demo their games um we've seen several when we've been to conventions and bits and pieces ourselves i believe it was at the essen gaming festival i could be wrong um this company were there and unfortunately there are horrible people out there a group of them descended upon their stool distracted several of them several of the staff that were on the stool and ran off with their um money tin unfortunately and because a lot of these are independent or very small companies it nearly cost them their business so they decided to um, reach out to the community and they offered a promo pack um, for varying of their different games I think it covered about six or eight games um, of which I own a couple and they just gave you extra promo cards and the opportunity to buy some of their games so I actually backed this you know I, I, I love supporting people and I was gutted to hear what had happened to them and they actually smashed their target they were only asking for just under five thousand pounds to recuperate what they've lost and we ended up pledging over 20 so um yeah it's a great it's a great support tool as well yeah i got six promo cards four of which i couldn't really use but i wasn't too fast i also bought a copy of one of their games called whoosh which has seen the table several times since. i do remember that game it's a good um, game but no i was i was really pleased again a i wouldn't have bought that game if it wasn't for what had happened and b they got effectively a bonus out of out of it and the promos were hilarious because they were all to do with stealing stuff yeah you know it was all thieves and random bits and they were they were very clever about how they did it as well so it was very quick well thought out but it's a nice end to a horrible story yeah yeah definitely um a couple of couple of things i've backed um to be honest uh, that weren't board game related uh, some of them are if all of them are gaming uh, actually no some of them are gaming related um the first of which was um a pc game uh, called Hotel Magnate. And talking of PC games, the pair of us have also backed one that's literally going on, I think it just about be ending within days of this podcast coming out, um, called Death Ground, a dinosaur survival horror game. Um, another one that I, I have backed in the past, uh, it's due out later this year, I believe, um, which is actually a film uh, that's going to be produced by the guys that do the YouTube videos, Bat in the Sun. Um, and it is a Power Rangers 
based one. It is called Legend of the White Dragon. So uh, really looking forward to that one coming. A- another one, and, th- and this will actually segue nicely to us uh, revealing a little bit of information for you. Uh, I recently backed a, uh, a book that was going to be written on there, and it's essentially called How to Create Your First Board Game, the fourth edition. And the reason of purchasing this, as you would imagine from the title, is I've expressed interest in actually creating a board game after Ian pitched the idea to me probably about a year or so ago and he came to me with a pretty early concept of what he wanted to do and i really like the idea and the, and the challenge of it we found we think we found a few gaps in the markets with some different ideas we've actually developed ideas for more than one yep. we're focusing on one at a time but but yeah we're not, we're not going to be revealing any information on here really with regards to our ideas until they are complete obviously um but we have talked about maybe doing a um a diary a um development diary a, a development diary on on the podcast so you might well get that in the future depending on whether it's something you guys really want to hear but i think now that we're uh, we're able to see each other in person again the the, the ball will start rolling a lot quicker yeah so um hopefully we can give you more in the coming weeks and months but yeah. we will see but we've got high hopes on that one yeah definitely so yeah that gives you a rough idea of all the different types of projects you can get i mean there's things on there that have been things like smart watches or the lot kickstarter can be used for many many things well kickstarter has its own categories with lots of subcategories exactly so there's a lot of there's a lot of stuff on there there's a lot of variation there's a lot of different genres to go down there's a bit for everyone and i said all of these crowdfunding systems again we focused on kickstarter because that's where we know and that's kind of like our our go-to at the moment but there's nothing to say the others aren't any good exactly so guys do you use a crowdfunding service to buy or even sell games we'd love to know if you sell games to be honest because uh, <laughs> you know we might be asking some advice in the future how has your experience been overall using the service would you recommend that service or do you t- completely disagree with this style of raising funds we would love to hear from you you can let us know on facebook twitter and instagram by searching for the podcast recorded gaming community or you can email us at community at gmail.com. That's all for the main discussion for this week. And we're now going to hand over to Paul in the CGC newsroom for another dose of hot steaming gaming gossip. And we'll see you in a short few minutes. Over to you, Paul. Well, thank you, gentlemen. Uh, with Jason and Ian being somewhat obsessed with the game Thanos Rising and its subsequent reskins Harry Potter, Death Eaters Rising and Star Wars Dark Side Rising, the op with its plethora of licenses to play with, have not one, but two more reskins on their way. First up, Spongebob Plankton Rising. Yep, you heard right. Spongebob Squarepants and his chums from Bikini Bottom will have you working together to take down Plankton from atop the chum bucket before he steals the precious ingredients for those oh-so-tasty Krabby Patties. And following this in a certain darker light is straight from the Dark Knight Metal comic book series is the Batman Who Laughs Rising. The evil Batman-Joker hybrid is determined to unleash the Dark Knights and Barbados on Prime. While Spongebob has its comedic, whimsical feel aimed at eight years old and above, the Batman Who Laughs set has a 15-plus rating and includes one-of-a-kind, full-colour, collectible sculpt. Pricing is at $39.99 
dollars and forty nine ninety nine dollars respectively but has no set release date as yet so get hold of your flgs and show your interest or when i know more i'll get back to you i'm all set for a thundercats masters of the universe or even a transformers rising now please oh please if you fell in love with elizabeth hargrave's beautifully designed game wingspan last year as i and my wife did then prepare for her next game set for release next month she has ditched one stunning set of winged creatures for another as her new game mariposa is inspired by the annual migration habits of the monarch butterfly as it travels to north america back to mexico every year for two to five players each round or season gives the players increasing number of turns to make their pilgrimage actions include moving collecting flower tokens hatching their butterflies into later generations and stopping at various way stations en route points are scored for completing seasonal goals covering certain geographical areas collecting tokens and having a multi-generational flutter of butterflies set for release on the 28th of august at a retail cost of 40 pounds the games from the publishers Aldrac entertainment that's mariposa the studio behind the digital versions of deck builder clank yellow and yangtze sagrada and one of my lockdown favorites raiders of the north sea is working on a digital version of root dire wolf studios is working hard on the version of root which is set for release on pc and mobile later this year it's a direct translation of the board game with single player local and online multiplayer as well as cross platform support for ios android and pc a truly asymmetrical game meaning it's two to four players will each have unique objectives and styles of play its board game variant had a reasonably high complexity and strategic depth so we're hoping its translation to digital will add in a well thought out tutorial as other digital releases have namely the raiders and the recent wingspan beta Kickstarter's now launching on the 1st of August for 2 to 6 players taking 20 to 40 minutes to play is Samurai Brothers is a hand management card driven battle game you are one of the Samurai Brothers build your dojo of ninjas and choose a wise sensei to boost their abilities select guards to protect your castle and dispatch your ninjas to steal heirlooms and lead sneak attacks on your opponents combine take that gameplay with tableau management and you have a great strategy game that allows you to restore honor to your empire attack strategically but aggressively to secure victory on the 4th of august for one to six players taking 120 minutes is massive darkness 2 a new edition of the original game set 10 years after its forebearer dangerous portals have sprung up across the land but closing them is not enough our light bringers must travel through and destroy the darkness once and for all the designers have taken a long hard look at every aspect of the game and spoken to many fans of the original in order to strip it back to its foundations and rebuild a rule set that is not only better but stronger each hero now plays distinctively different to each other growing from level 1 to 10 and gaining access to new and unique powers with the core box featuring 10 one-shot quests with the added benefit of combining them into a full campaign on release also on the 4th of august for 3 to 25 players yep that's right taking 30 to 60 minutes we have ultimate werewolf extreme this brings various new and unique features to the werewolf genre of games by reworking some of the main aspects more elaborate information on players' cards, a new role balancing system based on information and number of werewolves, optional rules to increase difficulties, enough cards to play three consecutive games of extreme, over a dozen new roles, new tokens, 
and charms providing new abilities. Most importantly is the game is integrated into a mobile app, helping the moderating easier than ever by scanning cards, players' names and faces. While a moderator is still needed, the app will certainly help with critical bookkeeping. The app is not essential, but can be extremely handy, especially at higher player counts. Well, that's all from me over in the newsroom. I shall be back next week with a bit more. Have a good week. Thanks for that, Paul. And thank you guys for joining us once again. We continue to be humbled by your support of the show and see the numbers going up every single week. It really is amazing. If you do like what you have heard from us, all we ask is you leave us a short review on Apple Podcast, share and subscribe on your favourite podcast provider. We are also loving seeing those t-shirt selfies you guys are sending us. So please, please do continue to tag us on all of the social medias you can join us on our discord channel as well with the link that is being updated regularly on all of our social media platforms but right now guys that is it from us and we'd like to wish you a great week ahead to stay well and stay safe and of course roll those dice to victory we'll see you all next week for another episode bye 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 bye